the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, everyone. I'm George Roska. And I'm Mark Schneider. And we want to welcome you to today's episode 144 of Say What? Where we talk about the threats to our children in the public school system, including the rot that's evidenced in the aftermath of congressional hearings on anti-Semitism at our elite colleges. Yeah, for those who have joined us in the past, you know, this has been sort of a theme for us lately, but it's an important one that uh, we feel the need to stay on. In fact, early last month, the House Committee on Education and Workforce held hearings to highlight efforts among our elite colleges to combat the resurgence of anti-Semitism. And the results, George, were anything but comforting and evidence just how deep the rot goes in what were once paragons of American higher ed. Um, in fact, the Harvard Crimson itself that reported on these hearings concluded, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from their article, the full hearing lasted nearly six hours, but it was a tense 90-second exchange with Representative Elise Stefanik, Republican from New York, she's a congresswoman, at the end of Gay's testimony that went viral on social media, and boy, did it ever, drawing national condemnation from the White House to Harvard's Jewish Center. Here's the question that was posed uh, to Miss Gay. At Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, Stefanik asked? Answer, it can be, depending on the context. Boy, that answer has gone viral. But Stefanik pressed Gay to give a yes or no answer to the question about whether calls for the genocide of Jews constitute a violation of Harvard's anti-bullying and harassment policies. Here's her response. Anti-Semitic speech, when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct. And we do take action. Well, George, we're going to take a look today to see if these rules are applied consistently in these institutions and how they're applied. But we should probably give a little bit more background about uh, what went on in these hearings. Yes. So if, if you've been watching the news on, on this topic, you, you know that three university presidents were called up uh, from Harvard from uh, University of Pennsylvania and from MIT. And we have a, a quick quote here from each of them. This one is from Sally Kornbluth at MIT. The right to free speech does not extend to harassment, discrimination, or incitement to violence in our community. That's great. Uh, Gay said that the school does give a wide berth to protected speech, but acts when rhetoric crosses the school's policies on harassment, bullying, or intimidation. Chanting apparently from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free and globalize the intifada, however, does not trigger these policies. At least they didn't used to, George. Maybe they do today. Because at Harvard, 
More than 34 student organizations signed an October 7th letter asserting that Israel was entirely to blame for Hamas terrorist organization's massacre and the kidnapping of civilians. And as we stated last week in our program, uh, the students made other demands like uh, Harvard divest from any illegal settlements in Palestine, that it reinstate a suspended proctor for taking part in a mob harassment of a Jewish student there, and that it promised the students we're not going to take any discipline action against you. The question, George, is this to these students. Who is morally culpable when a combatant hides inside hospitals or behind civilians? What does it tell us about Hamas that increasing numbers of Palestinian deaths are actually part of its war strategy? It begs another question, George, in 1643, when Harvard was formed, Harvard's founders applied veritas as its college motto, reflecting the belief, that's a Latin expression meaning truth, the belief that truth both existed and that could be discovered through reason. Today, the most effective way to disabuse a student of the idea that he can know truth, however, is to send him ironically to one of these elite colleges. Exhibit A is former Barack Obama, Harvard Law 91, reacting to the Hamas atrocities by saying, truth requires an admission of complexity. Whatever it's, that means. <laughs> it's it's oh. nuanced. Well, frighteningly, George, from an article in the Wall Street Journal, 62.5% of Jew- Jewish students there reported anti-Semitism. Almost three-quarters of students on campus there reported in- incidents of anti-Semitism. And just for our listeners, we thought it would be wise to give a little bit of history about the combatants now in the Levant, in the, in the Middle East. Uh, we know about the state of Israel, but what about Hamas? Uh, well, this is an organization that was incubated by the Egypt Muslim Brotherhood that was founded in 1928. It created his Islamism, which is a totalitarian ideology to resist and affect the pluralist West. Its worldview, says the French political scientist Giles Kepal, arose in the same intellectual firmament as German Nazism and Italian fascism. In fact, the, the Brotherhood's declaration is God is our objective, the prophet is our political leader, the Quran is our constitution, jihad is our method, martyrdom is our aspiration. That's directly from their manifesto. As far as Hamas's charter, uh, this is, quote, Islam will destroy Israel. It envisages a future Palestine that is Judenrene or cleansed from Jews. In fact, Article 7 reads, a day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fight the Jews, killing the Jews, when the Jew will hide behind stones and trees. Another one of their charter goals is to create a Sharia state, much like occurs in Iran right now. Jews are considered European colonists, ignoring the fact that they're actually natives to the land of Israel. Go back to your Old Testament. Read about King David. I mean, they've been there a long time, uh, from the time of Abraham. And I could go on and on, but um, the ideology of Hamas is not friendly to the West, and particularly to Jews. Yeah, so... 
back, um, if we if we kind of now connect the dots here, in 1979, Egypt's president Anwar Sadat made peace with Israel. Two years later, he was assassinated by these Islamists. Uh, so they go after their own people who don't tow uh, the party line. And they said the so-called peace process is futile. There is no peace, only the path of jihad, sacrifice, and blood. This is Hamas's leader, Khaled Mashal, in 2015. And and so Hamas, they're a known terrorist organization. And just as you read here, Mark, they have a very clear vision of complete annihilation of not just the Jewish state, but Jewish people everywhere. And they're not bashful about it. They've yeah. stated this plainly. They're, they're not trying to hide that fact. And just to remind our viewers, what happened on October 7th? Well, a Hamas brigade killed more than 1,400 people, Jews, innocent Jews, in an orgy of what some writers have said was a bestial violence. We, we can't even describe it here. It, it's too graphic. Our listeners can do their own homework, but it was really unparalleled what, what happened. Well, why did Hamas attack on October 7th? Because of Israeli occupation? That's what they're saying. But the truth is, Hamas has ruled Gaza since 2007, two years after Israel withdrew from that part of the the country. Under dissent intelligent leadership, uh, Lance Morrow writes in the Wall Street Journal, with a touch of vision, with investment by oil-rich Arab states, Gaza might now be a Mediterranean Singapore. Instead, Hamas has maintained Gaza as an anguished slum, an ongoing dramatization of Palestinian victimhood that is the source of Hamas power and its reason deatir. With the billions of dollars of humanitarian aid and other aid that comes all the time, they could have easily converted this whole place into like a Dubai. (laughs) There's no question about that. And regarding college students' umbrage at the civilian casualties that are taking place in the war, and George, we lament these casualties as well. But to Israel's credit, they are doing everything in their power, including sending text messages, dropping leaflets from planes, warning people well ahead of time to leave the areas that are justifiably um, um, under, under combat right now. But what about the 300,000 of Saddam Hussein's own people that were killed during his rule? Do you remember seeing any student protest about that? Or what about in Syria under the Assads, where hundreds of thousands of Syrians have been killed and nearly 13 million are currently refugees? I don't remember any student protest about those citizens being killed. But students at Harvard, Penn, and MIT don't protest Arab inhumanities. It's the Israeli Jewishness that brings the demonstrators out. This isn't a new anti-Semitism, writes Lance Moreau in the Wall Street Journal. But how much do these same students even know about, about what they're protesting? Let's talk about the student ignorance, Mark. This is unbelievable. <laughs> so these are the very students who are protesting and marching and yeah. calling uh, Palestinian to be free uh, from the river to the ocean. Well, it turns out that 250 of these same college students were surveyed, a majority of which supported the chant. But only 47% were able to name either the river, which is the Jordan, or the sea 
Mediterranean. You know, not even really half were able to name that. An engineering student definitely supported the chant because, quote, Palestinians and Israelis should live in two separate countries side by side. But while they're protesting the exact opposite <laughs> exactly, of 80 students who saw a map of the region, 75% actually changed their views just by looking at a map. So they had no idea what they were even protesting about. In all, after learning a handful of basic facts about the Middle East, 68% went, went from supporting the chant to completely rejecting it. I think any person who has any kind of neurons left in their brain should come to that conclusion. <laughs> uh, you would think, George. Well, I mean, when you think about it, this shouldn't be surprising to anybody, given the campus orthodoxy that rules not only at our Ivy League colleges, but most of our higher education centers of learning today. Colleges indoctrinate students in echo chambers that discourage freedom of thought and embrace a view of the West that ignores its successes, writes Douglas Bilkin in his article, Colleges, Clash of Hot Issues Boil Over. And the seeds began, he states, all the way back in the 1960s, when we started seeing critical theory and, quote, deconstructing systems of power ideology rolling out on campuses. And, and Mark, since then, the ratios of Democrats to Republican faculty members um, has has really been uh, way in favor to to Democrats seventy to one in religious studies. All right, our Democrats, our Democrats, forty eight to one in the in the English department, seventeen to one in the philosophy departments, and eight to one in political science departments. I mean, these ratios are just atrocious. I thought the university was supposed to be a diversity of viewpoints. I guess they don't follow their own DEI policies. Less than 3% of Harvard faculty identified as conservative according to its own Harvard Crimson survey. 3%, George. Parents, when you're sending your kids to these elite institutions, don't think that they are getting a broad, diverse uh, exposure to ideologies and viewpoints. There is no more monolithic group of ideologues than there exists at, at at these institutions that we're talking about today. The nation's faculty are now the most politically homogenous since the 1800s. There's no tolerance for opposing views. Attempts to cancel or disinvite speakers on campuses has increased fourfold since 2000. And there's, a, George, a binary of, of views that now prevails on campus. What is this view? The world is divided into oppressors or oppressed. And they've now continued to hire hundreds of administrative uh, staff to enforce their DEI guidelines. Uh, diversity has become the most important thing to universities uh, beyond inquiry. And, you know, as long as it falls under DEI, you can't touch it. You can't touch it. And uh, Edward Yingling, who is a Princeton alumni, has uh, formed a group. He's the co-founder of a group called Princetonians for Free Speech. And looking at what's going on in Princeton now, he writes, a democracy can't function in a country where the government tells you what you can learn. The government tells you what you can research. The government tells you what's true. The government tells you what to believe. But that's exactly what's going on.
Well, and then uh, from uh, higher education, um, we continue here with, um, you know, Veritas, uh, which is Harvard's uh, motto uh, about truth. But nowadays, everything's about my truth. Coming from the lips of Claudine Gay, who's the president of Harvard, she was pressured to walk back her congressional testimony on tolerance for Harvard anti-Semitism. And she made this statement, well, I got caught up in what had become at that point an extended combative exchange about policies and procedures. Substantively, I failed to convey what is my truth. And as Gerald Baker writes in the Wall Street Journal, few phrases are as reliable as my truth for identifying seasoned purveyors of double talk. Truth isn't something that can be identified or modified by possessive pronoun. If my truth is different from your truth, and your truth is different from her truth, these aren't truths. My truth is a device deployed to elevate that particular viewpoint of a number of a particular group or identity by claiming the validation of the truth for a narrow ideology. And with this simple phrase, Claudine Gay now got to hide behind her black woman identification. (laughs) She did indeed, George. Well, You know, going back to one of the questions that we asked at the beginning of this program, are these campuses applying the same rules to the same groups? Something tells me they're not. In fact, this is looked at uh, by the opinion writers of the journal in their article, America Gets a Harvard Education. Um, They went on to write, Miss Gay is fortunate She didn't get the Larry Sumner's treatment, who was forced to resign in 2006 following a no-confidence vote from the faculty after he made comments about the reasons women are underrepresented in the sciences and lamenting that fact. That's all he said. He had to go because he had violated campus orthodoxy on gender politics. Say what? Yeah. Or what about Stanford President Mark Tessier Levine after a student newspaper accused him of research fraud? He was exonerated, actually, from that fraud, but he was forced out of Stanford anyway. So, but look, if you happen to be uh, engaging in anti-Semitism, I guess all bets are off and you, you get a free, you get a free pass. You, you can stay in your job. Well, what anti-harassment policies, George, are enforced at these Ivy League campuses? What are they enforcing if they're not if they're not uh, calling out anti-Semitism for what it is? Well, what are they calling out? Well, a Title IX mandatory training for Harvard undergrads warned them that quote cis heterosexism quote fat phobia. <laughs> I just can't stop laughing. And using the wrong pronouns qualified as abuse and perpetuated violence on campus. So all of a sudden, this kind of speech is violence, but from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Is That kind of speech is not violence. Let, let's say that one more time. So if you happen to believe um, that there's male and females, that there's there's nothing in between, uh, if you express, I, I guess, some kind of opinion on the epidemic of, of obesity on, on campus, if you, if you state your, uh, your case on campus, 
or if you address somebody by the wrong preferred pronoun, you are subject to um, a discipline for being an abuser and perpetuating violence on campus. But George, say what you will about Jews, and you get a free pass. Unfortunately. This, this is unbelievable what, what is going on. But this is what's happening today. Uh, FIRE, which is an organization that stands for Free Speech Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, did a study of actual free speech on college campuses. Guess where Harvard ended up out of 248 college campuses that were surveyed? Should be in the top 10. I mean, they are an elite institution. They were 248 out of 248. That's a say-what moment. last. The University of Pennsylvania was 247. Now, I, I'm sorry, the, these are the facts. Uh, you can differ with, with FIRE and their reporting mechanism, but I tend to think that they're, they're pretty accurate. Jews in Israel are seen in the progressive canon as white oppressors or colonizers. These schools are nurturing views that undermine classic liberal values and core American principles. In fact, Jordan, 2021, Harvard students were told to remove a banner portraying Nicki Minaj in a bikini top saluting an American flag from their dorm window because it might be, quote, offensive. But in 2023, signs proclaiming, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, a phrase widely recognized as a call for the annihilation of the Jews, were displayed freely. The University of Pennsylvania, in late September, sponsored and hosted the Palestine Right Literature Festival, which featured speakers equating Zionism with Nazism and calling for Israel's destruction. At the same time, Penn has repeatedly penalized law conservative professor Amy Wax for what they've called racially provocative speech and are still, George, trying to get her fired. This is absolute craziness. It is indeed. And George, we could go on and on. Now, we didn't even get to probably uh, a half of of the data that we have. But I think I'd like to maybe conclude with with a couple of quotes. Uh, The first one comes from Larry Arn, who is the president of Hillsdale College, one of the last of the truly traditional and Judeo-Christian-based colleges in the country today. They take no federal money whatsoever. Larry Arn said this, And by the way, he is a student of both Athens and Jerusalem. This is a student of not only the the Bible, but he knows Aristotle and Plato as well. He writes, if colleges abandon their final cause, which is truth, their formal cause, which is civil discourse, culture soon breaks down into bullying, canceling, and extortion. That disaster has struck colleges deeply, and now it spreads into society. We become unable to distinguish the murderers from the defenders of children. That last sentence right there, Mark, I mean, that's how morally incapable we become of discernment. It really is. And then the last quote is from John Ellis and his articles from Higher Ed has become a threat to America. His words, not mine, but I agree with them. The biggest threat to our future isn't climate change, China, or the national debt. It is the tyrannical grip that a hopelessly corrupt higher education now has on our national life. If we don't stop it now, it will eventually destroy the most successful society in world history. 
Parents, this is what we're up against in our K-12 through school system. Uh, we spoke about this last week. We're covering it again this week because this topic is very important. In five very short years, we've gone about debating sex education, transforming into comprehensive sexuality education, to then critical race theory and social-emotional learning, and we're at anti-Semitism. Parents, please, please, please wake up and start doing something about this. Please go to our website at protectourkidsnow.org. Listen to our podcasts. Uh, listen to the short videos that we have produced. Download our brochures and just peruse through all the information that we have. But we highly encourage you to take action today and start protecting the minds of your kids first and then spread the news with everybody else in uh, your network. So thank you for listening to today's episode of Say What? And we'll talk to you next time. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.